Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. And now, here's Dr. Dan Gerard. After graduating from Pentecostal and Baptist seminaries and spending several years as a Sunday-keeping Christian minister, I learned many important facts. But the greatest lesson was yet to be learned. That lesson being that there were a lot of things I still did not know. And so this prompted me to determine, to examine for myself what I had been taught in Bible college and seminary and to research the doctrines of the Bible with as little outside influence as possible so as not to be swayed by or to make decisions based on popular opinions or tradition. As I did so, there was an area that kept needling me, and the question, Sabbath of Christianity, Sunday or Saturday, became almost a constant thought. My journey revolved around two questions. Number one, was the Sabbath of the Old Testament confirmed by Christ in the New Testament? And secondly, was the Sabbath of the Old Testament kept by the apostles? Today I'm going to be dealing with question number one, and in our next session I'll be dealing with question number two. So question number one, was the Sabbath of the Old Testament confirmed by Christ in the New Testament. I reasoned that I needed to table as much as possible what I had been taught from books and from professors and allow the Bible, the Word of God, to paint its own portrait of Christ's relationship to the law. Now, in order for this to be achieved, I decided that I would seek to answer the question, did the death of Christ destroy the law? It became very evident to me almost immediately that I could solve a part of that question by recognizing that the Bible establishes a distinction between the ceremonial law and the moral law. Now, please follow me closely. The ceremonial law sought to impress the necessity of looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. On the other hand, the moral law is the code of ethics given to man by God at the time of creation, and they were given by God to instruct mankind into how we might have a consistent fellowship with both deity and humanity. The moral law is what we refer to as the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments reveal our love that we're to have to God. And the last six commandments reveal the love that we are to have for one another, for fellow mankind. 
As I began to meditate upon this, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 became a portion of Scripture upon which I meditated literally for weeks. Notice, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross, speaking of the cross of Christ. After pondering this question for a number of weeks, I reached two concrete conclusions. Number one, some things were nailed to the cross, and number two, some things were not nailed to the cross. I arrived at the conclusion that some things were not nailed to the cross by asking and by answering a series of questions in view of what the Bible has to say about sin. Since the cross, has it ever been right to have other gods before Jehovah? Since the cross, has it ever been right to make graven images? Since the cross, has it ever been right to take the name of the Lord in vain? Since the cross, has it ever been right to dishonor father and mother? Since the cross, has it ever been right to kill? Since the cross, has it ever been right to commit adultery? Since the cross, has it ever been right to steal? Since the cross, has it ever been right to bear false witness? Since the cross, has it ever been right to covet the belongings of a neighbor? The answer to each of those nine questions is a resounding no. And so I concluded that if these nine aspects of the moral law or the Ten Commandments were not nailed to the cross and made void, if they were not done away with, it stands to scriptural reasoning that the seventh-day Sabbath of the fourth commandment must remain in force along with these other nine commandments. And so, if the death of Christ did not destroy the moral law, if the death of Christ did not remove the Ten Commandments, what was nailed to the cross. I read again from Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. What was nailed to the cross? The ceremonial law. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Well, my friends, the ceremonial law had indeed directed mankind to look forward to the supreme sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. Why was Jesus born into this world? Jesus was born, Jesus came to reconcile fallen mankind back to a loving Heavenly Father. 
Which law did he nullify? Which law did he replace as he offered himself as a fulfillment of the sacrificial system? Which law did he remove as the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom? The ceremonial law system. As Paul expressed in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Now, what's he going to abolish? Underscore, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. You see, my friends, Christ's death did not abolish the Ten Commandments, the moral law. The death of Jesus Christ abolished the ceremonial law, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. The Bible is very plain along those lines. As I read the four Gospels looking for Christ's relationship to the law, I found nothing in his birth. I found nothing in his ministry. I found nothing in his death. I found nothing in his resurrection. I found nothing in his ascension that remotely removed the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments from being a bountiful blessing to anyone who keeps them even in our present generation. But rather, it became more and more apparent to me that Jesus came to redeem mankind. Jesus came to fill you and me with the precious Holy Spirit so that you and I can obey by faith the moral law of God. You see, nowhere in the Gospels is Jesus presented as either condemning or changing the ten commandments. But rather instead, over and over and over again, Jesus is seen constantly confirming the moral law of God, and the Seventh-day Sabbath is part of the moral law of God. In Hebrews chapter 10, I marveled at the description of Christ's relationship with both the ceremonial law and the moral law. Look with me, first of all, concerning Christ's relationship to the ceremonial law in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse number 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, because of this, when Jesus cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou, God, wouldest not but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, underscore, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he saith, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither underscore, hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. 
So the question we need to ask is this, what law is this? Ceremonial law or moral law? Now follow me very closely. This scripture passage I reason has to be referring to the ceremonial law. Follow me closely. Why did I reach that conclusion? Because there is nothing within the Ten Commandments that mentions sacrifices and offerings. Nothing at all. And so Christ's relationship with the ceremonial law was to remove it. And he did so by becoming the ultimate sacrifice himself. No longer would there be a need to offer animals. Is there anyone else here besides me that would like to praise God for the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ? The ultimate sacrifice. Second, let's look at Christ's relationship to the moral law. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. Now, let me pause reading here and ask a question. God is going to make a what? One more time, a what? One more time, a what? God is going to make a covenant. Now, notice what is going to be part of this new covenant. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. Underscore, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Did you underscore that? And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. (laughs) May I just say hallelujah about now? Hallelujah. Did you notice the victory regarding sins and iniquities that has to do with this new covenant? This new covenant that was a necessary ingredient in God's dealing with mankind. And this new covenant has a necessary ingredient of God's laws that are being written in the heart and in the mind of the believer who has placed faith and confidence in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus the Christ. Also, do you remember the other in the Old Testament covenant? Do you remember the other time that God wrote Do you remember? What did God write? The Bible says that God wrote the Ten Commandments with His own finger. I found it very interesting that both times God is referred to as writing, referred to as writing His moral law. The first covenant, the old covenant, God wrote on tables of stone. 
Now in the new covenant, God is writing those same laws, those same Ten Commandments, that same moral law in our hearts and in our minds. (laughs) Now follow me very closely. The scripture passage in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, I reason, has to be referring to the moral law of the Ten Commandments. Now, why did I reach this conclusion? I reached this conclusion because why, follow me closely, why would God so honor the ceremonial law of sacrifices and offerings by putting it into the hearts and minds if God no longer found pleasure in them, as we read just a few moments ago in verse number 6. Why would God do that? He wouldn't. You see, the Bible teaches that God would not remove the moral law but rather God would establish the moral law as part of His new covenant. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17 again. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You see, my friends, when a person accepts a sacrifice of Jesus Christ by faith, God desires to impress His Ten Commandments into the heart. When a person accepts a sacrifice of Jesus Christ by faith, God desires to impress His Ten Commandments into the mind. Why? so that you and I can distinguish between what is good and evil. So what was Christ's relationship to the moral law? The most authoritative voice I know of is His own. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. From the gracious lips of the Savior we hear, think not, that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, let me pause there just a moment, because we just read that there will be certain things nailed to the cross, right? A certain law system. Now, did Christ ever contradict himself? No. I read again. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, underscore, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle in no wise will pass from the law till all be fulfilled. I can remember so vividly when I came to this understanding Asking myself this question, Danny, is the heaven still in existence? I can remember asking myself so vividly when I came to this conclusion and understanding, Danny, is the earth still in existence? 
Yes, the heaven is in existence. Yes, the earth is in existence. And so the moral law of God and no amount of popular opinion can do away with it. No amount of biased court rulings can do away with it. The posting of the moral law, the Ten Commandments, can be legislated out of society. They can be removed from every piece of geographical location on planet Earth. But my friends, Jesus promised that as long as there is a heaven and as long as there is an earth, one dotting of an I or a crossing of the T will not pass from the moral law, the Ten Commandments of God. Now, that's not Pastor Dan. That's Pastor Jesus. Now, why was it so important for me to spend so much time in distinguishing between the ceremonial law and the moral law in discovering Christ's relationship? The answer is quite simple. Jesus is our perfect example. And Jesus is fully capable of leading us into a complete relationship with the Heavenly Father. But it's not enough just to know this in our mind. It must become a conviction of the heart. A conviction of the heart so strong to cause us to practice what Christ practiced. Even though it may not be the custom and practice of the majority of the Christian church, our family, are our friends. I want you to listen very carefully to the expression of John in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. He that saith he abideth in Christ ought himself also so to walk, underscore, even as Jesus walked. Now, that is a powerful statement. But it becomes even more powerful in the context of what we're talking about today. Back up to verse number 3. Because this walk that you and I are to have, this walk even as Jesus walked, is linked with the keeping of His commandments. Look at it. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, and hereby know we that we are in him. <laughs> you see, this walk that you and I are to have, even as Christ walked, is linked with the moral law, the Ten Commandments of God. My study of the Lord's Day was igniting a greater desire within me to become a closer friend of Jesus. My study of the Lord's Day was igniting a desire to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. Why? Because Jesus kept it holy. And Jesus kept it holy because it was and still is the Lord's day. 
Maybe in conclusion, I need to share just a few passages that were giving direction in the area of the Lord's Day being Saturday and not Sunday. Revelation chapter 1 in verse 10, that the revelator wrote the Holy Spirit inspiration, I was in the Spirit underscore on the Lord's Day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Question, will you agree with me that neither Sunday or Saturday is mentioned in this verse? Will you agree with me on that? Now, why is this important? Very simple. Because there is nothing in this immediate verse to establish the Lord's day to either be Sunday or Saturday, we must allow Scripture and not popular opinion to interpret Scripture. You see, the Bible is its own best commentary. Now, since we're discussing the Lord's Day and whether Jesus confirmed the Seventy Sabbath, will you also agree with me that it is only proper to allow the Lord to speak for Himself? Would you agree with me on that? Listen, as the Lord speaks, as it flows from His gracious lips in Matthew 12 and verse 8, underscore, for the Son of Man, who's that talking about? Talking about Jesus, right? He's talking about Himself. He says, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And so it's clear, my friends, that the Sabbath day is connected with the Lordship of Jesus the Christ. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 10, sheds further light into which day, Sunday the first day or Saturday the seventh day, is the Lord's day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, underscore, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And so the Bible says that the seventh day is the Lord's Sabbath. And if it's the Lord's Sabbath, it must be the Lord's day. Later, and I had never, I'd read through the Bible, I cannot tell you how many times, but I had never seen the following verse until I began the study on the Lord's day. Isaiah was inspired to declare the reverence of God and His desire on His day by recording how God views the seventh-day Sabbath. Listen very carefully. Isaiah 58 and verse 13, God is talking. Now, will you agree with me that God is the authority? Listen to what God says. God says the seventh-day Sabbath is, underscore, my holy day, the holy of the Lord. 
Now, is there anyone here that wants to argue with God? <laughs> and again, how could I argue with Jesus himself? Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. And Jesus said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, underscore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now, I may be simplistic, and some people, maybe even some people here this morning, think I am simple-minded, but that's all right. I may be simplistic, but I just choose to believe that if God says the seventh day Sabbath is His holy day, then it must be just what He says. It's His day because it's the Lord's day. And so I came to believe on the basis of what the Bible says, not other books. I came to believe on the basis of what the Bible says and not my family. I came to believe on the basis of what the Bible says and not professors. I came to believe on the basis of what the Bible says and not preachers. I came to believe on the basis of what God's Word says and not public opinion. I came to believe that Christ not only confirmed Saturday to be the seventh day Sabbath with His words, He also confirmed it with His actions. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 16. Following his baptism and wilderness temptation, Jesus began to travel throughout the region and teach the people. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and underscore, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Yes, search though I did, I could not produce one verse of Scripture to indicate to the slightest degree that Jesus ever replaced or meant for the seventh-day Sabbath to be abolished. Never. But someone may be asking, Pastor Dan, didn't the disciples and the apostles change the day of Christian worship from Saturday to Sunday after the death of Christ? In our next session, we're going to look at question number two. Was the Sabbath of the Old Testament kept by the apostles? We're going to allow the Bible and the Bible only to answer this question. Dr. Dan Gerard is the pastor of University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel, and on our website. Thank you for listening.